0: Take your Bibles and turn to Daniel chapter 6. Kids, head to the kids' table. If, you've, if you're here with some children and you don't know what the kids' table is, it's a uh, time for them to go and, and work on some listening guides. They have words that I'm going to say, and then they get to tally mark. And they get real excited if I say the word a bunch of times, and they get real upset if I don't say the word at all that's on their list. I learned that. But that makes sure they're listening, doesn't it? So, maybe I need to give some of y'all listening guides. Give y'all some words to listen. for. We'll see about that. Daniel chapter 6. Faithfully predictable. Which is really redundant, right? I I wanted to make the title like faithfully, redundantly predictable. And so I could be redundantly redundant. But I I decided I'd just go with the two words instead of the three. I think it just gets to be a mouthful. But isn't that our God... Faithfully predictable now, the truth is in fact, God is not predictable he's predictable in his promises he's he 's unpredictable in how he plans to keep those promises. Uh, God is doing something new right our, our Isaiah verse for renew week our we, we, we know he tells us to sing a new song to him he there's there's this newness every day with God His mercies are new every morning it's it's something different and yet it's the same there's the the beauty of our God and, and his sovereignty and who he is. And excuse me for just a second, I'm gonna do this a lot this morning. <coughs> the beauty is it actually helps when I do that. So uh, that's better than last week, which wouldn't I could have coughed the whole time, it wouldn't have helped. And I did get my test, it's not COVID, so no worries there. So we come to the scripture this morning and we see. Faithful predictability. We see we, we see it in and in, in actually all the characters in the story this morning. And we're gonna work through that uh a little bit. Daniel's an interesting character. Chapter six, if I remember correctly, and I do, thanks. Well I had to check and make sure that I did. That y'all might have seen the page turn. Um Daniel six is the last narrative portion of the story, the 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 last. Of, of Daniel's biography, so to speak, except it's not really biography. Daniel's not, I mean, he's prominent, he, he wrote it, but, but we're not getting a whole lot of stuff. Even the parts that talk about Daniel actually talk more about other people uh, most of the time than they do Daniel. But it's the narratives, the story portion of, this, uh, of the book of Daniel. Chapter 7 begins the prophetic portion. And plenty of narrative there too, uh, but it's just, just, just a different type of narrative. So we've come to the end. Uh, Daniel is 80, 85 years old, something like that. He's been in uh, Babylon for, well now, yeah, it's still Babylon, but it's not the Babylonian kingdom. Now it's the Persian and Median kingdom. He's been through a bunch of folks. He, he, he's been there, what's the math on that, 65-ish years? Uh, if he's 85, he's been there 70 years some of y'all have been places 70 years. Uh, that's a long time, isn't it? Uh, to, to be in one spot, not his home, though, right? He, he, but he still remembers home. The story tells us he does. It's still a, a prominent place in his heart that he he left it at, at 15ish. After 80, 85 years, especially 80, can you imagine what Daniel's thinking? I, 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 I try to. At 80, Moses was called out of the Midian wilderness to free his people from slavery. Do you ever wonder if Daniel wished he were Moses? I just wonder if he hit that 80th birthday and he's thinking, now? Gonna get that burning bush thing going, so we can uh, we can get out of here, go back home, go to go back, build the temple again. Maybe he didn't, but I, I think he, he 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 knew his Jewish history. He knew his his church history, his the history of his faith. I I wonder if he didn't think maybe it's time now that we get to go home. He had served in a foreign court, just like uh, Moses had practically raised in uh, the, the royalty of this foreign kingdom, just, just like Moses. I, 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 I'll say for me, I would have been sitting there going, yep, check, 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 80 years old, call from God, getting out of here. Check, check, check. Maybe he, he wished he was Josiah. Josiah, one of the later kings... Uh, tried to, to uh, later kings of, of Judah, tried to fix the, the religious problems, purified the kingdom. Hopefully, probably uh, the people would have looked around and said, maybe Josiah will keep the, the coming storm at bay and, and we won't go into exile, we'll, we'll get back to faithfulness. Josiah, who, who led a revival in Israel, in, in Judah, rather, in Jerusalem, of, of faith and following Yahweh. Maybe Daniel wished he was Jonah. Now, not the running away part, uh, no, but, but the going to a foreign kingdom and, and preaching a message of how God saves I mean, he, he, he preached a message of how God uh, provides back in chapter 1 when, when he didn't eat the food. And, and he, he preached messages of how God works when he interpreted dreams. And he, he, uh, it wasn't him, but the boys preached a message of, of how they would worship God no matter what happened to them at the fiery furnace. And, and Daniel here is going to now preach a message of how God... Rescues often whether we speak it into existence or not. Lots of revival sermons for Babylon and Persia. No repentance in the sackcloth and ashes that they got that Jonah got in Nineveh. You think he wondered, ever, wished, ever for that. He didn't lead his people to freedom like Moses did. He didn't see a revival among his people like Josiah did. He didn't see a revival among a foreign people like Jonah did. I mean, Daniel's claim to fame is really that he was faithfully predictable. Kind of a boring claim to fame. I mean, the whole, the whole lion's den, right? That's impressive, but, but his story is otherwise pretty boring as far as what the world would count as success. Eh, he interpreted some dreams. I mean, yeah, he, he, he went high in the kingdom. He influenced kings greatly, right? But he worked for the enemy. Now, if you don't think that matters, then tell somebody that a Christian is going to work for the president that they didn't vote for and see what they say. It makes a difference who you are working for in some circles. So big deal that he influenced kings. He got a couple of kings to say, wow, God is great. Nothing else. Cool escape from lions, but otherwise boring. I sometimes think God might be calling us to be more boring. Not that he doesn't want us to do great things, not that we don't have great things to do, but I think God is calling us to be faithfully predictable. That's the Christian walk in most circumstances, is just faithful predictability. Doing the same thing over and over again, actually hopefully getting better at doing those same things over and over again. Daniel's whole story, his whole shtick, is being faithfully predictable and it is a wonderful story and a call to believers today. Now we're not going to read all of chapter 6 out loud uh, this morning, but we're going to look at all of chapter 6. And we're going to actually see Three areas of faithful predictability. It's going to be in the, uh, actually, four rather. In the day to day, faithful predictability, or faithfully predictable in the day to day, faithfully predictable in the world's reaction, faithfully predictable in the persecution of believers, and faithfully predictable in God's response. First of all, faithfully predictable. In the day-to-day. We see it at the very beginning. Now, the, the, the king, uh, Darius, sets up the 120 satraps or, or just basically uh, governors or parish presidents, whatever that we might call them. Um, in, in Texas, it would be the county judge. Over large areas, the leaders over large areas that sat underneath some other leaders, three guys, Daniel and two others. Who sat under the king? That was just the way he set it up. And of course he does this. Daniel gets this prime spot being a foreigner in this land. Even though he's lived there for 65 years, he's still considered a foreigner. We're going to look at that in, a, in just a little bit. Does that sound normal uh, in some places where you live? How many of you have lived in a place for a long, long time, but you're still seen like an outsider because you, know, you weren't born there? It, don't raise your hand because some of y'all. We, well, we know where you live, so might be awkward. But that's what it was. He 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 he's this outsider in this uh, incredible position, and it is because he does everything as to the Lord. Colossians three twenty three says tells us as believers do everything as to the Lord no matter what it is even if you are in the second highest position in the land of a foreign enemy kingdom do everything as to the as to the Lord eat your food as to the Lord interpret the dreams do the job you're called to do as to the Lord and if something happens and you've got to make a choice between the job and the Lord choose the Lord Even if that means a fiery furnace. And then when you have to give bad news again, give the bad news as to the Lord. And serve the king, or whatever your job is, as to the Lord. So that Daniel could actually be upset when he reads the mene mene tekel parson in chapter 5 that's written on the wall and telling uh, Belshazzar, you're going to die. And he said, I wish this was from somebody else. This is for you. And that night, he's gone. And then chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. Daniel distinguished himself above the administrators and satraps because he had an extraordinary spirit. So the king planned to set him over the whole realm. The administrators and satraps, therefore, kept trying to find a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom. But they could find no charge or corruption, for he was trustworthy and no negligence or corruption was found in him. Everything was done as to the Lord. As a matter of fact, this is really the, the first miracle in this chapter. The three miracles in this chapter. We, we kind of brush over the first two. But the, the first one is this. That he served the Lord in the enemy's court. He served faithfully. He could serve both his king and the king of kings. Faithfully, and he was not negligent, he was neither negligent to the king of kings nor to his king. Have mercy in an administration that they didn't vote for, yeah, because he served the Lord first. Everything was to the Lord in the day to day life, he had a great reputation. Verse five, and this is kind of a backhanded compliment. But nonetheless, it is a compliment to his reputation. Then these men said, we will never find any charge against this Daniel unless we find something against him concerning the law of his God. Everybody knew that you could not find some dirt on Daniel. You can try, because they were. They had been trying for quite some time, but you couldn't do it. Daniel, because he did everything as to the Lord, he had a reputation That you just couldn't find any negligence on his part. You couldn't find the problems that would have gotten him in trouble. And so, because of this reputation, these people knew we got to find something about his faith. That's the only problem we're going to be able to find with him. Not anything that he does in his faith wrong, but we've got to pit his faith against the king. I don't want to get ahead of myself, though. We'll get there in just a second. And then in in Daniel's day-to-day, we see this, him faithfully predictable in his simple devotion. Skip down to verse 10 for just a second. When Daniel learned that the document had been signed, we'll talk about the law in a second, in a minute. I keep saying a second, (laughs) like that's going to happen. When Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he, he went into his house. The windows in its upstairs room opened toward Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees, prayed and gave thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Simple, boring devotion. Don't you think it got boring for him to pray 3 times a day? How many times had he read those scriptures? I mean how many times he had he read that story he was writing? Those aren't the scriptures he wrote, I'm kidding. Uh the prophets, the law, the psalms, the proverbs. He had read those things over and over and over. He had prayed three times a day. Now, I don't, don't know what his life was like. I'm sure he was busy, and there was a lot of stuff going on in the kingdom. But to pray in the morning and around lunchtime, maybe some days in, in the in-between time there, something major happened that he had, had to pray for. But, but most of the time, I bet his prayers sounded kind of redundant, at least on his ears. It was simple devotion to the Lord. I prayed these prayers before. I'm going to continue to pray these prayers. I've read this scripture before. I'm going to read this scripture again. And God would speak to him because of this simple devotion. And here in verse 10, we have the second miracle of the book of Daniel. He had remained faithful to both God and the king in this position of power, and now he is remaining faithful to God when everything around him was telling him not to, including the law, including the potential punishment by death. Now, I don't think what Daniel did here was flaunting The the scripture doesn't read as if upon hearing this, he went up into his room, threw open the windows, and prayed louder than he ever prayed, hanging outside the window, just to flaunt the law. Just to show them, I am not going to do... No, what we see here is simple devotion. The windows had always been open on the top floor of his house. The fact that he had a top floor of his house tells you what kind of position he had in the kingdom and how wealthy he was. The windows were always open in the top floor of his house. He always went home morning, afternoon, and evening and prayed. So much so, right, that the guys knew, these satraps, these leaders, they knew, hey, if we pass this law, we'll get him. So this was no big news to anybody. It wasn't news to Darius, I guarantee you. Daniel was simply devoted. He didn't flaunt it. He also didn't hide it. Not going to act like I'm I'm not disobeying this law. Close the windows suddenly. They can't see me. I'm going to do what I've always done. I'm going to Be simply devoted to my Lord. I'm going to be faithfully predictable. And he just went home and did what he did. Let the chips fall where they may. Faithfully predictable in the day to day. Of course, it was faithfully predictable in the world's reaction, too. It's a lesson for us. Uh, The world will respond to us in similar ways. Uh, Typically, as was expected, there was this desire for the believer's failure in verses 6 through 8. The administrators satraps went together to the king and said to him, May King Darius live forever. Flatter, flatter, flatter. He's not going to. He's going to die one day, but whatever. All the administrators of the kingdom the prefects, the satraps, advisors, and governors have agreed. That's a lie. Daniel didn't agree. It's so already they're wrong. This, this is, y'all, this is typical church right here. All, everybody's saying that. No, it's just two or three people. That's all it was. Two or three people, but they're the loudest ones. All the people are saying that you should pass this law, that that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an edict that for 30 days anyone who petitions any god or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den. Therefore, your majesty, establish the edict and sign the document so that as the law of the Medes and Persians, it is irrevocable and cannot be changed. They knew what they were doing. They, they desired for Daniel's failure. That, of course, that's the whole reason they set it up. Y'all, this is not a shock that the world will do things to trip believers, either just to cause them to fall for the fun of it or to cause actual pain, harm, and suffering. Nobody roots for believers to win. Nobody roots for uh, believers, for followers of Jesus today, to be right. Because if we are right about Jesus, they're wrong about Jesus. I almost always root for the person that I think is wrong to actually be wrong. That way, I still get to be right. Especially if we're talking about matters of life and death and eternity. I want them to be wrong. Because I believe I'm right. And of course, when we fail, when we don't live up to the standard that we have been preaching, that we have been telling people they need to live by, when we fail, they have an excuse to point, to mock, to deny, to to disbelieve, to enforce an unjust law. The world, it's faithfully predictable that they want us to fail. Darius's pride was faithfully predictable too. Verse 9, So King Darius signed the written, written edict. Did their flattery work? Probably some, yeah hey king you live forever you are you are you're you're wonderful yeah i mean wouldn't it be great king if for 30 days nobody prayed to anybody but you nobody asked anything of anyone in the entire kingdom and the heavens but you that'd be pretty cool we, we don't he, he doesn't respond in our text in any way other than he signed the edict maybe maybe it wasn't pride maybe i'm I'm being unfair to him maybe it was just there were a lot of laws to pass that day, and they came in in the midst of having to you know take over another uh, uh, kingdom somewhere and having to raise taxes one more time. And, and they slipped this one in and said, now king, uh, we know you're busy longing the king forever. Wouldn't it be, hey, I, we got an idea. Why don't you, we all agree. Why don't you do this? Oh, whatever. <laughs> Go away. Yeah, I don't think so. I think pride got in the way. And pride caused him not to think about how it would affect other people, because the truth is in the world, even the world that 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 is friends with believers or supports believers it it really doesn't take much to turn those friends and supporters against believers and now, yes, there are exceptions to that uh, that I absolutely I, that we, we have. Example after example in history of that sort of thing. I, I get that, but but the truth is I don't think Darius, I'm certain Darius, didn't think through this edict. He didn't think through this is nice, I like it, makes me feel good. But how does this affect other people? especially people who don't follow our guides. Hmm, I, ooh, Daniel, how's this going to affect Daniel? He didn't think about that. So he was thinking about himself. So even if we give the, the best of the benefits of the doubt, for the most part, the, the, the health and well-being of believers isn't the first thing that's on the mind of the world. It was faithfully predictable that the men would scheme something like this and in verses 11 and 12 we see their 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 plot come to fruition then these men went as a group we've already read verse 10 daniel did what he always did verse 11 then these men went as a group and found daniel petitioning and imploring his god look how verse 10 describes it i think this is important Three times a day, he got down on his knees, praised, and gave thanks. Now, prayed and, and, and gave thanks; those are those aren't emotionally charged words. Prayed and gave thanks. That's that's that's, that's almost. I mean, it's almost like the blessing, right? It's, it's almost. He did it three times a day. Did he eat three meals a day? Was this just the blessing? I mean, he went up in his room. I, I realized that, but it, it sounds so simple prayed and gave thanks. But when we get to verse 11, it's described as, they went and told the king that they had found him petitioning and imploring. That sounds a little more intense. A little more desperate. Actually, it it sounds more like what they wanted to stop or how they wanted to catch Daniel. Anyone who petitions any God or man except you. All they were doing was saying, we saw him... Wait, praying's not strong enough, is it? What does the law say? Petition. We saw him petitioning and imploring. Whew. That's how they're going to do it. I mean, we, we, we... we want to stop right here. We want to ask these guys, guys, did you not know your history? Your fairly recent history, like last 50, 60 years? I mean, I, I realize it was a different king. It, it was Nebuchadnezzar and, and, and not your guy, Darius. But do you not remember the story of the three dudes and the fire? You, we, They tried this one time. You, 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 do, do you not... Yeah, and, and, and they would have said, "Well, huh, that was fire. These are lions. How is that different?" That's what we want to ask them, right? How is that different? how How could you think, well, if God can, he might can control fire, not lions? Well, in in their minds, that actually. Sort of makes sense, because they had different gods for everything. They would have had a fire god and a, and a lion god or an animal god. A, a, a god over the elements and a god over uh, uh, creatures. So, okay, the fire god helped him, but maybe the, the, his, his, uh, uh, his animal god won't. Of course, what they didn't realize was he only had one god. And he was lord over all of it. But even if they weren't thinking that way, even if they were just morons... Y'all, we're morons too. Because how many times do we do the same thing with God with our problems? How many times do we look at a fiery furnace and go, whew, he brought us through that? But when a lion's den comes up a little bit later, we go, I don't know if he can do this. Or we, we, we get in a financial difficulty and God gets us through. But the, the next time, when it's a job problem, he probably can't, tear, can't, tear, uh, can't take care of my job for me. When it's a family issue, well, you just don't know how hard-headed these people are. We do the same thing. It's not furnaces and lions, but we do the same thing. So these, these schemes, they, they plan this scheme to use Daniel's faith against him. And once somebody sets out to use your faith against you, it better not be hard for them. There's a big challenge for you today. If somebody sets out to use your faith against you, to trap you because of your faith, it better be easy. They better be able to point to all the things. They knew how they were going to trap Daniel. They knew he prayed three times a day sitting up in his attic, his nice furnished attic. Not an old creepy nasty attic, a, a, a nice furnished attic with windows that he opened. He, he, they knew, they'd seen him do it over and over, probably for hmm, 65 years. Don't know they had been around that long, but that's probably how long he had been doing it. Or longer. How hard would it be for somebody to trap you in your faith? If your boss makes a rule at work, if they make a rule at school, if the government says you can't, how hard would it be for them to trap you in your faith? And not because you get mad at whoever it is and decide, well, if they're going to tell me I can't do that, I'm going to start doing that now. No, I'm talking about... Could they pass a law, a rule, whatever, based on how they, or what they already know about you? Or would they struggle? Well, how are we going to trap him in his faith? Well, I don't see that he lives it. I don't know how we'd do that. Oh, we could trap him in his devotion to LSU. We know about that. We've heard about that. Oh, we could trap him in his devotion to a political party. We could take care of that. How do we trap him in his faith? Mm -hmm. I mean, the only thing we could do is say he couldn't put a fish on his car. They do that when they cut people off and make hand gestures when somebody cuts them off. The scheme's predictable, and they're going to use it against you. Can they? Are you faithfully predictable enough that when the world makes a faithfully predictable decision to come after your faith can they trap you we also see some faithful predictability in verse 13 the the use of racism then they replied to the king Daniel one of the Judean exiles has ignored you the king and the edict you signed for he prays three times a day Petitions and implores three times a day. This Judean exile, Etta pointed out in Connect Group this morning. Yeah, that's all Daniel was, right? He was just a Judean exile. Some random guy out who lived in the fields, so no, no, this is the second most powerful guy in the nation. And they refer to him as Judean exile. He hadn't been in Judah for 65 years. And he's still just the Judean exile? The world may not use racism against you, honestly, especially in our country. The the truth is, though, that anything will be used to discredit you or create doubt. It won't have to be about your faith. It will probably be tangential to your faith. But it will be something that you're going... What does that have to do with anything? Doesn't matter. They'll use it against you. Because it just creates doubt. It just creates one more level of... uh, One more opportunity. They see it as one more chink in your armor. And so, that's what the world does. And then finally, what was so faithfully predictable... In, in, in the world's response is verses 14 through 16 and verse 18, Darius' regret. Y'all remember I should have had the V8 commercials? If you're like under 35, you probably don't. That's Darius when they come to him. And the way they say it in verses 14 through 16, as soon as the king heard this, he was very displeased. They tell him about it, and he's displeased because he realizes, Oh, I messed up. I shouldn't have been a moron. I shouldn't have been so prideful. And it's nice that he thought that, because look how it goes on in uh, verse uh, 14. He set his mind on rescuing Daniel and made every effort until sundown to deliver him. He was trying to find every trick in the book. But he couldn't revoke the law. Again, Etta and Connect Group uh, mentioned uh, the same thing happened with Esther and Xerxes, or Artaxerxes, I'm still not sure which it is. Now, When you asked me, I I couldn't remember, but you'll look now and and tell me in about a minute and a half. Um, He passes the law that all the Jews are going to be exterminated on a certain day. And he couldn't unpass the law. But after Esther tells him, oh, by the way, when that happens, your queen gets killed, he doesn't revoke the law. That's Artaxerxes, yeah. Uh, he, he doesn't revoke the law. He says, okay, we're going to make a new law. The Jews can fight back. Oh, that that's a, puts a new shine on it, don't it? They get, to, they get to fight back and, and they win. There's nothing Darius can do to fix the law. He can't revoke it. And there's no law that he can create to help Daniel. He realizes his mess in verse, uh, verse 14. The 15. The, then these men went together to the king and said to him, You know, it's the law, the Medes and Persians. You're a Mede or a Persian, right, Darius? You are, that's right. So it's a law for you that no edict or ordinance of the king can be changed. So the king gave the order, verse 16. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you continually serve, rescue you. And then on over into uh, to verse 18. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and he could not sleep. It's great that he felt bad. It really is. I mean, that's, that's a testament to who Daniel was in his life. The, the phrases he uses here, uh, you know, may your God save you, and he stays up all night worrying about it, these are... Uh, Obvious signs that, that Darius held Daniel in high esteem and Daniel's God in high esteem. Daniel knew the I mean uh, Darius knew the stories. Darius knew about the fire and the boys, but he was still worried. It is it's it's predictable that that when a worldly friend, for whatever reason, makes a decision that harms us based on our faith, that that worldly friend will feel bad. And oftentimes, many times, try to fix what happened, but it will often be too late. Now I wish I could say that this world's reaction, this this faithfully predictable reaction of the world only happens in the world toward believers. But a, a quick read of the New Testament and a quick read of life in general says it happens in the church too. I mean, I began this section with it sounds a lot like what happens in church sometimes. Everybody's saying, when it was just a handful, this is life. Even believers will turn on believers and, and, and bring, up things, bring up things about their faith. Well, you realize that so and so uses the Bible to defend the fact that he didn't vote for who I think he should vote for. Hmm. And a myriad other ways where, where this will happen in the church and in <coughs> Faithfully predictable. As believers, we can't stop. It's also faithfully predictable in the persecution of believers. Verse 17 shows us that persecution is inevitable. Darius has tried all these things. He's, 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 He's racked his brain to figure out a way to stop it. And he knows that in the end, may your God, verse 16, whom you continually serve, rescue you. It is in God's hands at this point. So verse 17, a stone was brought. And placed over the mouth of the den, <clears throat> the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet rings of his nobles, so that nothing in regard to Daniel could be changed. They couldn't bring food and throw it down to the lions, so they didn't eat Daniel. They couldn't do anything. There was nothing that could stop this at this point. The, the persecution of Daniel, the, the death of Daniel in their minds, was inevitable. Persecution of believers is inevitable. It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. John 15, and if you want to jot these down to look at them later, you can. They're, they're not going to be on the screen. John 15, 19 through 20. The world hates you, Jesus said. They will persecute you. Matthew 5:10. The tail end of the Beatitudes. Blessed are you when they persecute you. Mark 10 30. Persecutions come with eternal life, like it's a package deal. If you get eternal life, but wait, there's more persecution. You get eternal life, and they might kill you for it. No extra shipping or handling just comes right along in the package. Galatians 4.29 You'll be persecuted because of the Holy Spirit. How many believers have the Holy Spirit? Answer all of them. Okay. Therefore, when the Holy Spirit comes, and the Holy Spirit comes the moment you believe for salvation, so you get the Holy Spirit, immediately, because of the Holy Spirit, you will be persecuted. 1 Thessalonians 3.3 incidentally 1st and 2nd Thessalonians will be our next series in connect groups in our D groups and readings and on Sunday morning messages starting in about 2 or 3 weeks 1st Thessalonians 3:3 3, 3, we're destined for afflictions what's your destiny your destiny is to be afflicted as a believer to be persecuted as a believer Matthew 10, 16, we're sheep among wolves. How do sheep fare among wolves? Well, about like they expected Daniel to fare in the lion's den. Not well. It doesn't generally work out well, well for the sheep. First Peter 4:12. Look, don't be surprised at the persecution. It's going to happen. It is faithfully predictable that as believers, we will be persecuted, and it should not change a thing. We should still be simply devoted to do what we have always done by faith and go into the room with the windows open and look toward our Father, our Savior, and pray regardless of what's coming, regardless of the circumstances. Verse 17, we should be willing to seal the door behind us. There was a song uh, a couple of years ago by um, for king and country called Burn the Ships. The whole thing being when the uh, uh, the, the conquistadors the, not a maybe the best example but anyway when they would come to the new world in order for people to to, to stop any mutinies that might take them home uh, some of them would burn the ships they get here burn the ship all right we're staying now it's a great song I don't know how exactly historically accurate it is but it does give us a good picture of what we are supposed to do, which is what the song is telling us about our faith. We, we, we burn the ships. We, we can't look back. In, in Daniel's situation, or in, in this verse 17, we should be the ones that when they put us in the lion's den, we go, is the door shut good? Because we're not coming out. We're not going to... Azariah, Hananiah, and Mishael would say, we're not going to bow to you or to the statue. It doesn't matter if you burn us alive. Shut the door. Seal it. Put your signet ring on it. Uh, 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 Concrete around it. Put some some flex seal on that so we just can't get out no matter how bad we want to. Because we're not going to want to. Shut the door behind me. Because I'm going in the lion's den. I'm not going to give up my faith for whatever you say I need to do. Because we see see things that are, are, are faithfully predictable in God's response. Daniel knew. Daniel was fine with it. We see faithful predictability in God's care. Verses 19 through 22 At the first light of dawn, the king got up, hurried to the lion's den. When he reached the den, he cried out in anguish to Daniel. Daniel, servant of the living God, the king said. Has your God, whom you continually serve, been able to rescue you from the lions? Yep. Okay, he said a little more than that. But then Daniel spoke with the king. May the king live forever. My God sent his angel. Is the second person in the lion's den, right? We got the fourth person in the, in the uh, uh, furnace. This is the second person in the lion's den. Sent an angel. Here we are with the third miracle now. Sent an angel to shut the lion's mouths, and they haven't harmed me, for I was found innocent before him and also before you. Your majesty, I have not done harm. And then verse 28, so Daniel prospered during the reign of, reign of Darius, even also, who is, rather, the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Darius knew God cared. Darius knew it when he threw him in. You know, this friend of the believer, he knew. And when he came back, he, he knew God cared. Daniel, has your God saved you? Yes! Yes! The world saw that Daniel had been saved. The world saw Daniel's faithfulness, and they saw God's faithfulness. When the world sees our faithfulness, they will see God's faithfulness. And Daniel had the same faith as the boys. Notice he made no response about the lion's den. The the boys were given an opportunity. If you bow down, you don't go in. Daniel was never given the opportunity. The, The law had been broken. So he had no response, but I guarantee you, he went in with the same philosophy. My God can save me. But if they eat me, I'm still not going to bow down. Seal up that door. I'm going in. We, we see faithful predictability in God's judgment. Verses 23 and 24. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to take Daniel out of the den. When Daniel was brought up from the den... They're having this conversation while Daniel's still down there with the lions. You realize that, right? They're just now bringing him up. When he was brought up from the den, he was found to be unharmed, for he had trusted in his God. The king then gave the command, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and thrown into the lion's den, they, their children, and their wives... They had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. God's judgment is predictably faithful. Eventually, God takes care of our persecutors. Eventually, God takes care of those who are coming after us. We may never see it, and that's okay. It ain't our business. And you know what sometimes happens to our persecutors? Sometimes they find salvation. So Jesus took care of our persecutors. But we don't like that. Mm-mm. But that's what our faithfulness is supposed to do. It's supposed to change people's hearts. Not that we can change people's hearts. They should see our faithfulness and then want to serve the God who was faithful to us as we were faithful to him. Faithfully predictable in God's exaltation, verses 25 through 27. King Darius wrote to those of every people, nation, and language who live on the whole earth, may your prosperity abound. Y'all doing good. But here, it's got something for you. Verse 26. I issue a decree that in all my royal dominion people must tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his dominion has no end. He rescues and delivers. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. For he has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. God used a pagan king to spread his glory. God used a pagan king to spread his glory. God can use anybody to spread his glory. God's sovereign. That person's in charge. God then can use him however he wants to use him. It doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter whether you wanted Babylon to take over Israel and Judah or not. But God's still going to use him. To bring himself glory. God gets the glory no matter who says it. God gets the glory no matter who's doing it. And what is predictably faithful or faithfully predictable, it's interchangeable, is God's saving work. Maybe Darius was saved that day. Maybe he lived out the rest of his life as a follower of Yahweh. This is is pretty good testimony. This is is better testimony than Nebuchadnezzar's. Better testimony than Belshazzar's. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe he didn't, rather. But it doesn't matter. God's saving work is the same. See, those verses I read to you about persecution uh, a few minutes ago, John and Matthew, Mark, Galatians, all those. Those verses about persecution also speak of our witness during that persecution. Our witness during our persecution is what will help, often, lead people to Christ. It goes all the way back to the cross, doesn't it? With a soldier standing there after Jesus breathed his last, saying, truly this was... A son of the gods, or a a son of a god, or the son of the god. He, He didn't know how to put it in all the right words, but he knew criminals don't die this way. This was something different. See, if we lift up Christ, he will draw people to himself. If we lift up Christ in our persecution he will draw people to himself. If we lift up Christ in our persecution, he will draw our persecutors to himself. And sometimes in order to be lifted up, in order to lift up Christ, all we have to do is continue our faithfully predictable walk. With him. It may lead to a lion's den, but it's just us being devoted to the Lord and being obedient. It requires obedience to experience salvation, it requires us to be obedient to God's word. Now, we're not saved because we're obedient. That's a works salvation, and it doesn't work that way. You, you can't be obedient enough to be saved. But Scripture tells us in Romans six twenty three that the wages of sin is death. That means, if I'm a sinner, and I am, and if you're a sinner, you are, and if everybody's a sinner, they are, then there is a wage that has to be paid. There's an expectation because of our sinfulness that we will die. Not just physically at where we turn to dust and all that, but I'm talking about spiritually where we are separated from God for eternity. That's the wages of that sin. The Bible is clear about that. It will happen no matter what we think, how good we think we can talk or sell or, or, or get out of it when we get there. We'll swindle old Peter at the gate. No, you're not. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is not obedience. The gift of God is not a list of requirements. The gift of God is eternal life. You have been given, been offered the gift. You deserve this, wages of sin is death. But instead you have been gifted with eternal life. There it is. You can have it. It, it's, It's made for you. It is yours to take. But the obedience part, then, is what comes next. That gift, that eternal life, is in Jesus Christ our Lord. And the Gospel of John is the clearest book on what it means to accept that, to believe, to trust Jesus Christ for your salvation. You don't just get it. It's not just a, you know, it's not Mardi Gras beads. Everybody gets it. It is a single gift that you must receive. By faith in Jesus Christ. And when you do. You will be saved. And when you do. You will be persecuted. (laughs) I'm not a good salesman. But when you follow Christ. You get. Our faithfully. Predictable. God. Who will never leave you. Or forsake you. He will hold you fast. You're going to die anyway. Most of us are going to die somewhat painfully. None of us are going to live forever. And we're all going to face judgment. I want to go, my final breath, whether it's in my sleep and I never know it, in a fiery furnace or in a lion's den, I want to go knowing that when the pain's over, I get to be with my Lord, my faithfully predictable Lord who promised that he'd never leave me for all of eternity. Let's pray. Father, thank you. You hold us. You keep us. Your salvation secures us. The Holy Spirit seals us. And our faith in you marks us. It marks us for a world that doesn't get it. But by our faithfulness to you, we get to show the world, I I know you don't get it, but you can have it. God, may we be faithfully predictable in our walk with you. God, this gospel message has been preached Who knows how many times. Every Sunday I've said it. It is (laughs) faithfully predictable that I will end a message with the gospel. And sadly it is just as predictable that someone will hear the message and choose not to respond again today. And they might have tomorrow and they might have next week or they might not. Do you not know that your soul will be required of you today? That could be any one of us. Lord, may we this morning, may somebody here this morning make the unpredictable, at least on our part, response of trusting Jesus Christ. They didn't predict it. We didn't predict it. But you knew. Because you drew them. By your love. God, may we respond in faith as believers this morning. May we leave here going into whatever is next saying, seal the door. Because it doesn't matter. We will be faithfully predictable in our devotion to you, in our obedience to you. God, we pray for your hand on this place for the next few minutes. As we worship, as we listen, and God, I pray as we respond in obedience, whatever that means for us today. We pray it in Jesus name. Amen. So what does your next step look like this morning? We all have one to take. Some of you need to accept Jesus Christ as your savior, accept salvation through him. You need to be baptized, follow in obedience, that first obedience in in following Christ. Some of you are believers that need to conform your life to Christ. You are not simply obedient. You are not faithfully uh, predictable in your walk. People would struggle to find a law to pass against you as it pertains to your faith. Some of you need to submit to God's plan and purpose for your life. You have thought your direction was this and God's telling you right now, nope, it's this. And that means some decisions that you, mm -mm, God, you are not calling me to that. Oh, yeah, he is. You're just disobedient. Michael, what are you talking about? I'm 75 years old. I can't go to the mission field. Who says? I can't go back to school and be a pastor or a minister. Or se- Who says? God's calling somebody, and you need to submit to his plan. Maybe you need to join our church. You want to be a part of our membership. We have a couple of men in the back. Tom will be here at the front to pray with you. If you'd like to make that decision public this morning, you can. We would love to do that with you. If you just want to share it privately, you can share it on a connection card in the back of you, the seat in front of you online. You can send us a message, send us an email. What's God doing in you today? How is God telling you to be faithfully predictable in your life? Let's stand, let's sing, let's worship Him this morning and let Him move on our hearts as He does business with us.